0: Hi, it's the Bugle Planet building in sunny Gotham City. It's Hey Kids Comics with two guys who are always ready to seduce the innocent. Your hosts, Andrew Farmer and the Jedi Call Houston. And now it's time for Hey Kids Comics. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to
1: Hey Kids Comics. I am Andrew Farmer with me, as always, the Jedi Cole Houston. Say hello, Cole. Hello, everybody. There he is. Oh, man. We came off of a pretty big story arc there, buddy. How are you feeling about it was that?
0: Something. I enjoyed the daylights, that was a out of that. That was a great arc. We had a lot of fun with that. I hope everybody really enjoyed it a lot.
1: Well, I'm and still I, getting I, over lot. Weldon working for Chessex—that was a, <laughs> still the thing that blew my mind the most about all five issues and all the research I done. I, did, I done was Weldon working for Chessex—that would blow my mind. Um, I, I've been telling that story to everybody. They're like, "I wonder if you had anything to do with those dice." I'm gonna have a uh, like an AMA and ask me anything for Weldon. We're just gonna like, did you work on these dice? Did you work on these <laughs> dice? But. But yeah, so we we had a really interesting run of of five independent comic create you know independent comic houses um, that had a lot of you know there was a lot and I wish that there was one source you know I wish there was some way one thing that we could go to to just open it and see all of the things from that one particular oh. uh, that one particular publisher you know so i could so i could see all of the characters and, and or the storylines or the weapons if only
0: there was a, a resource
1: right if only there was something like a handbook thing.
0: yeah a way you could just sort of definitively <laughs> explore a universe
1: That's a good cold open man i think we did it cuz tonight, yeah. cuz tonight's issue spun out of that story arc um was a, we're going to talk about the definitive handbooks for comic books that are out there it became all the rage in the mid 80s to release these what what a lot of, what some people consider boring what we consider the um the apex the alpha of of comic book knowledge were these handbooks like the marvel the official handbook of the marvel universe who's who of dc um I, the, we found out G.I. Joe had them. We found out Valiant has them. We found out – you know, all these companies were, are putting – they're still doing it, by the way. They're still making these things. And I know oh, that – absolutely. Well, and, and – I
0: think it's, it's sort of a seminal favorite because uh, both Marvel Universe or the official handbook to the Marvel Universe and uh, DC's Who's Who have gone through repeated incarnations over the years. But they started out as a comic book-sized directory.
1: Right, and it was, and I do want to start with Marvel for two reasons. One is because, and I want, 1990, I want, I want tw- 1999... I want nineteen ninety nine, I want twenty nineteen to be known as something. I started twenty nineteen, thinking that Jim Shooter was this hothead upstart jackass <laughs> who, you know, threw his weight around in comics, and you know was a crazy, you know, drug-addled freak and gave us things <laughs> like Secret Wars and, you know, and these wild ideas about what comics were at that time period and it kind of ruled with an iron fist. And I left 1999 thinking all of those things, but also that it was kind of cool that he did it. So I've come around on Jim Shooter. Um, one of the reasons is are things like this. He was the impetus for the handbook to the Marvel universe. And if there's one thing that Jim shooter is, it's prolific. And he has written extensively about his, about the idea, about how it came into being, about how, about who ran it and what it was supposed, what it was initially going to be, what it transformed into. Um, So we have a lot of information on that from, from Jim shooters perspective, which is awesome. And there's, yeah, Go ahead.
0: I'm sorry. Well, in many ways, Shooter becomes his sort of uh, – is the self-chronicler. Yeah, yeah. He will – but there are a lot of creators out there like John Byrne or um, – he's the one who uh, definitely has chronicled a lot of his own career because otherwise we wouldn't have this data, this little snippets of information, these behind the scenes things that, uh,
1: that we right. do have
0: now because of, uh,
1: because of Twitter and Facebook and whatever else. Um, yeah. you
0: should be, you know, apart from Peter David's uh, column in the comic buyer's guide, you never got to hear any kind of behind the scenes stuff.
1: And, and you have a, I, I always love hearing this story from you. And I, I remember the first time you told me about this and I was completely enchanted with, the concept because it never dawned on me that that somebody would do this. So, and I don't think you've ever done, you told the story on the show. Maybe you have, but not, not in any kind of official capacity. But for a long time, you were toting around how many issues of the Marvel. Uh, the Mar- 15 the handbook-
0: issues of the Marvel Universe and however many issues of Who's Who. Uh, because I think it was like 26 issues or something like that, all told.
1: Right. And what were you doing with them? Because this is the part that was amazing to me.
0: And, and I've, I've got a little story to tell on a late creator um, who, by no fault of his own, pisses me off to this day. <laughs> uh, but what I had done at the time, I was collecting uh, Marvel Universe. And my uh, younger brother Craig was collecting it as well. So for about the first six or seven issues, we each concurrently had our own individual order of ginger prawns. No, I'm sorry. That's uh, <laughs> that's uh, from uh, Reversal of Fortune. I <laughs> wanted to quote Jeremy Irons whenever possible. Ginger but. Prawns. So I still have my own individual order. Visual order.
1: Ginger, visual prawn. order. <laughs> ginger prawns. Yeah,
0: oh, ginger prawns. But uh, let the chips fall where they may. Uh, but, you know, six or seven issues in, Craig's like, I don't want to collect this anymore. You can have mine. I'm like, what the flying shit am I going to do with a, <laughs> a double set? Well, what happened was I figured out exactly what you do with a double set, and that led to me having to buy two damned issues a month in what expanded from a 12-issue series to a 15-issue series, only one issue of which I did not buy a second copy. And that was the uh, Book of Weapons and Technology or whatever the hell that was called. Yes. Because it was all the same Illustrator. But Illustrator is important in this in that I realized at the time there were a lot of – enough opportunities with local conventions and uh, comic shop appearances to cross paths with a lot of the creators whose work appeared in Marvel Universe. Right. So my spare set became my autograph book.
1: So cool. It's such a great idea, man.
0: So I have issues with uh, Carrie Gamille and uh, the late Dave Cockrum Even uh, Walt Simonson, um, Frank Miller, for God's sake. He was at Lone Star Comics signing Dark Knight when the second issue had come out. Or maybe it was just when the first issue had come out. I had no desire. I could not stand his art um, for God awful. (laughs) But he drew Eternity and a couple of other characters for Marvel Universe. Right. And here was a golden opportunity to get those pages autographed. And what I did was go to individual creators and have them autograph the page that their work appears on.
1: See, that's so. And if you don't know, if you've never seen one, um, basically what the Marvel Universe, the Handbook of the Marvel Universe was, was they took. You know, segments of letters, and I don't know if you remember the exact segments of letters, but it was, you know, let's say it's A to E, you know, and then F to, and then it would, it would go up from there.
0: But, yeah, you know, so basically an alphabetical guide.
1: It would have page by page, or, you know, a lot of them, you know, it was, it was two pages. They would have an illustration of a particular character. So let's say a Captain America, they would have a Captain America entry. They would have an illustration of Captain America you know it, it was a usually a portrait illustration that would take up about half of the half, a a quarter of the page maybe a little more down the page but they would list all of the pertinent captain america facts real name you know power set um, weaponry known relatives like the like a whole bio and then yeah. they would give a biography and a bibliography of, of how he got his powers and 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 you know what and yeah. it was
0: also a great resource for something that you didn't often have access to, and that was the first appearance. Yes. Every yes. single character. And you got introduced to characters you never knew existed, like the
1: Aquarian. Well, and my thing is... Or elegia <laughs> I directly relate, and I'm holding one of the Master Editions Collecteds, the second one, which, you know, is uh, is... Garak to protector or proctor it's the Garak to proctor i'm holding it in my hand right now i directly equate these books the 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 who's who the order of battles the 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 official handbook of the marvel universe to me doing this show because through these and i would read them you know i didn't use them as as a resource material as much as i did i read them cover to cover Over and over again, learning about these characters and where they were from, because you would see, and the other thing they did was, imagine Cole doing this show in the (laughs) mid-80s.
0: Oh my god.
1: Right. So you didn't have Wikipedia or Comic Vine or any of these places where you could say, okay, I need to know more about uh, Kill Raven. I just opened it to Kill Raven's page. I need to know more about Jonathan Raven, otherwise known as Kill Raven. Um, I need, you know, so now I, so I now I just go to Wikipedia type in Kill Raven, it gives me everything I need to know to go dig deeper and do the research for the show. That didn't from, exist. From
0: Marvel's War of the Worlds. Yeah,
1: that didn't exist.
0: Very loosely based on uh, H.G. Wells.
1: <laughs> that did not exist in any oh, fashion. Yeah. So you... So this gave us a resource. If we were reading and we saw Tarantula in the <laughs> Spider-Man comic, we could then go to our Marvel universes, go to our tees, look up Tarantula, and figure out, oh, okay, so he was this guy, and he first appeared in this book, and this is what you know. And we could get all the information. That did not exist for somebody like me that played D and D, for somebody like me that would read the encyclopedia, you know, the, the, the Encyclopedia <laughs> Britannica. Or the Time Life, uh, what were those books? The Black Books about like mummies oh, yeah. and uh, wormholes, um, <laughs> whatever those were. Um,
0: the ones you would, the mom and dad would subscribe to.
1: Oh yeah, oh yeah.
0: Every um, other month, you'll get another edition of the Wild West and turn about a guy who shot a man just for snoring.
1: That's right. My Uncle Big Red Farmer found a thumb in a bulk <laughs> barrel of baked beans. <laughs> like, what?
0: A complete non-sequitur fun fact.
1: Right. And uh, a,
0: a relative of Catherine's, yeah. who is Jelly Cole's relative who died during the Civil War, was a Confederate private... Was sent home in, as part of a uh, prisoner exchange. Yeah, he was sent home to die. Decades and decades and decades. We're talking probably on the order of sixty or seventy years later. A trunk was found to contain his Confederate private's uniform, which is one of three Man. in the world.
1: Hey, did you know that? On, that you know, when I'm not nor- north of the Mason-Dixon dancing as rusty sh- uh, dancing is dancing as rusty shoals i am uh, i am below the mason dixon dancing as rusty private or uh or confederate private Confederate
0: privates did yeah. you know
1: that because that's a that's a true yeah, because,
0: story because when you're confederate privates everything happens down south that's right. um, but but they it the, shall uh... rise
1: again cole um <laughs>
0: <laughs> we can only hope, but the, God, the, uh, both, the uniform <laughs> actually appeared in a time life
1: book. Nice. That's awesome. That is awesome. It is on
0: display in the museum in Cleburne, Texas. So
1: did you have a similar like experience when you first started reading these? Were you just drawn to them for those reasons? Oh, absolutely.
0: Because at the time, uh, my friend Steve and I were still, you know, aspiring to uh, try to become comic creators. And we had a rich pantheon of characters. We had hundreds of characters. And that inspired me heavily to create a Bible for the so-called Enforcers universe. And uh, and another friend, uh, David, was complaining that a lot of things would be like, you know, real name, unknown, parents, unknown. It's like, somebody knows? And I thought, you know, that is a very valid point. I mean, from the standpoint of the publisher – you want to maintain, like, saying Who's Who, the Joker's lack of identity, as it were. Right. But from the standpoint of never getting it wrong, if you establish everything up front in a Bible no one ever sees, then you never get bone claws.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes.
0: Because you have established that bone claws can't happen. They don't work because that isn't part of the established nature of that character. But this was the closest we were ever going to get. And uh, on the subject of Marvel Universe, by the way, the first issue was devoted entirely like an episode of Sesame Street to the letter A. Yes. And then by the second issue, you got B and C because they had a crap ton of A's.
1: Yes, they did.
0: And – Marvel Universe was the first to the market, and certainly Shooter has given his accounting rather heavily.
1: I I do want to talk about that a little bit, but go ahead, because there's some really interesting Shooter beats in there.
0: I could practically guarantee you that Who's Who was already in the works, because this was a period where anything that DC did on an epic scale – because they were fast approaching their 50th, I think, anniversary at the time. And that's why we had the Crisis on infernurse That was their tentpole event. And you know this massive 12-issue series with George Perez art top to bottom and every character. And this was your introduction into the characters of the DC Universe you never knew existed, like Batlash from the Old West or The Haunted Tank. But concurrent with that, they had a – basically a researcher whose sole job was to call the entire history of DC and create the framework for what became Who's Who. And I guarantee you, Shooter got a whiff of that, and it's like that sketch with the Monty Python filmmakers, like, you know, Oh, when I made right Rear Window, it's all Slice – or uh, – I made uh, Midnight Cowboy. John Schlesinger rushed his version. out while mine was still at the chemist.
1: <laughs> I would. I agree with you. I agree, I almost can see both sides of that story lining up, because in Shooter's version, Shooter not only um takes down the idea that DC had it in the works first, but he also takes down the origin story on Wikipedia. <laughs> I love I love Jim Shooter for this because he's like. The first line of the of the of of his, his telling of this is Wikipedia got it wrong. Because if you look at Wikipedia, they say that he got the idea basically off the back of a baseball card. Now, Shooter's recollection is this. <laughs> he was in a Barnes and Noble, and I love this, because this is you and me. Right? This is something you and I would do. He's in a Barnes and Noble and he's dicking around. Which how many times have we been in a Barnes and Noble and we've just been dicking around looking oh, at yeah. books? He stumbles across this these books by uh, by Jane's. There's a company called Jane's, and I was okay. sort of familiar with this. and And it's Jane's. The one he saw was Jane's fighting ships. So you crack open Jane, and it's one of these coffee table books, right? And then on every page, it has a different fighting ship and what the and what the capabilities of the fighting ship are how many people it could have, how many, you know, all the, all of the specs on yeah, it. Yeah. It's, it's
0: crew and complement. It's so. yeah.
1: On these ships. Um, you know, and apparently there's an all the world's aircraft by Jane's, but he saw it and he cracked it open and he said, this is what I want to do for, um, for all these characters. And he said, yeah. he said it reminded him of, and this might mean something to you, didn't mean a lot to me. It reminded him of uh, the Night Girl's dossier that he tried to get into Legion of Superheroes, um, which I think was essentially the same thing. He was trying to work something out in Legion where it would where it that
0: would do sounds that. strangely familiar,
1: right? Well, you're you're our Legion expert, because, uh, so
0: because it's um, it's either that or this little book that was circulating around before the uh, internet that was basically you know just uh, like kind of a phone directory for prostitutes.
1: Oh okay, right on. <laughs> he, he, so he took the idea to Grunwald to Mark. Um, yeah. and Mark's the guy who basically ran Herd. He was the editor of the Marvel Universe um, books. He 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 kind of ran it and he laid out for he laid it out for him like this is what I want, right? I want this and Mark kept coming back and saying no I want everything basically I want it to be you know like like the history of Marvel I want to tell all of the stories and everywhere we've been and shooter was having none of that
0: and shooter, <laughs>
1: shooter wanted this shooter wanted this thing and what we got was was actually more narrative than shooter wanted. <laughs> Shooter wanted it to just be like, "Give me the guy, give me his powers, give me his strengths." Next guy, like that's yeah, it,
0: like a like a almost well, like a baseball card. I can see where Wikipedia would, someone penning that article, would have made that connection or had that perception. And the thing about it is, I will concede that there was probably some zeitgeist, yeah, involved. I can allow shooter, the recollection of dicking around in Barnes and Noble and hitting upon this because there were guidebooks of this kind. There were, um, you know, you could find uh, for militaria enthusiasts, there were always guides around that were like, you know, the, the uniforms from uh, Praetorian Rome through the Civil War or something right. like that. Uh, American Civil War and uh, you know they're fascinating even if you don't give a rat's ass about the subject matter it's just that they exist alone is a fascination and you know it sounds like Grunwald did something more akin to what DC was doing yes and Shooter wanted something you know slick and sexy in and out move on to the next guy
1: he just wanted the info yeah sounds like yeah
0: and what they were doing at D.C. was in celebration of, you know, 50 years of publishing and the consolidation of all of these acquisitions, bringing everything to bear and concurrent with who, uh, with Crisis on Infinite Earths, you were getting who's who. So you could kind of figure out, well, there, that's who King Solivar is.
1: Well, and there was, and there's some there's some really funny things in here too. Like the the initial name that Shooter wanted to have for these was the Marvel S- Super Specifications Handbook. <laughs> the Marvel wow, that Super that would... specifications handbook, and then he tried to get it vetted, and they were like, "No, no." Uh, apparently, the guide to the Marvel universe was a licensing name that was bought by a guy named George Olishevsky that never did anything with it. Huh? So they had to buy it back from him in order to do this. Um, and also um, <laughs> there, there's another really great story about a guy who I just found out um, oddly enough is going to be at one of the conventions down there. Um, Al Milgram is going to be down oh my at, God. at one of the conventions down there um he had he was working on a an encyclopedia project called the the official Marvel universe so shooter had to talk him out of it by giving him the title because apparently milgram is a big pun guy by giving him the title Marvel Fanfare
0: oh yes
1: Thus, I remember
0: fought Marvel fanfare
1: and thus getting Marvel Universe away from him so that he could use it in the official handbook of the Marvel Universe
0: <laughs> had to give him
1: Marvel fanfare um, some other things that were that were interesting was um, and I do want to get to the DC thing because while this one if you read this if you it is very much you can, cont- you can tell that it is mandated at an editorial level to be what it is. You know, everything
0: Oh, is- Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it was, in fact, there was an issue of, I believe Marvel age magazine, okay, which was Marvel's little, uh, self aggrandizing rag that I imagine, I think I want to say it was like free or just dirt cheap. I think eventually, yeah, it was like dirt cheap to start with. Um, because, what was it, or maybe even started out free. I found a cover image of the seventh issue. No, twice as many pages, 25 cents. Wow. When it started out, and then, of course, it got up to about a buck after a while. But it was the place you went for Marvel news, like Secrets of the Secret Wars. Right. In issue 12. And there was, I believe that's where I saw the article about Marvel Universe. Okay. And the nature of that beast. And one of the things they were showing was some rejected character bio images. Um, One was like She-Hulk in the tatters that she began her career with. Well, they wanted her in more what she was wearing nowadays. And they showed, you know, whichever artist had submitted that, this was their rejected uh, piece because it was, um, and in the comments it said, "Of course, if she's still dressed that way, maybe her book would still be around." Oh. This was this was pre-burn, pre right. uh, a lot of you know back when it was just Hulk Miss Hulk uh, more than anything. But the thing about it was that, um, and then there was one I distinctly remember the the picture of the actual uh, uncolored image of Craven, the hunter
1: uh-huh.
0: that, that did appear in the book. And it, of course they couldn't resist. This is the kind of thing we're craving.
1: Yeah. That's, that's bad. That's yeah. a, that's a bad joke. <laughs> um,
0: but the, what was neat is that gave you a little bit of the behind the scenes in that the editorial mandates were, you know, if the artist submitted something of like, say, you know, Captain America or Spider-Man leaping forward Mm -hmm. out of the page. And that's not what they wanted. They wanted something that gave, in many ways, the the idea partly was to uh, kind of give you the, an artist's, And I know there were aspiring artists who ate that shit up, Mm -hmm. who that was like, oh my God, we've got every single costume ever. And as an aspiring writer, I'm like, oh wow, I could. There's so many possibilities here, like, you know, getting Doc Doc Ock and Plant Man to go after Spider Man and Doctor Octopus's garden. <laughs> yeah, I went there.
1: Yeah, nice. But the the difference between the two is pretty striking, because in, in in the DC books, one of the things that always jumped out at me about the two was in the Marvel, you had a character's name. It was just the name at the yeah. top, bold, black block letters. Here's the name. Here's the image in, in Triptych, usually. Sometimes it was just the one, you know, where it was just straight on or to the side. Um, but here's, you know, here's your image of the character in, you know, in still form. Those were, that's what you got. That's what you got. And
0: yeah, um, you basically had like, say, the Hulk standing to the right. Of his bio.
1: Yes. Arms straight down. Yeah. Standing to the right of his bio. And the... When you look at the who's who of DC, the first difference you notice is the... You got the logo for the
0: character. Yes. They they were very logo heavy.
1: So, so if it was Starfire, you got a Starfire logo and not just block letters. You know, you got... A character in action a lot of the times you got a lot more you know you got a lot and they of would also
0: they would layer uh the artists were also able to like for example quake master somebody had to come up with the quake master font i'm sure because i don't think quake master had
1: I think a logo. yeah
0: <laughs> but you would have this was a time dc was doing something that would later come back and bite them in the butt. They had this off uh, this process type of thing that really got popularized in Legion of Superheroes in the 80s, where they had this kind of unique way of doing an overlay. Uh, they used it a lot in uh, Legion to do holograms. Okay. And they did a similar thing with Who's Who, only is the background.
1: Yes, I remember that. Yeah,
0: and so you had sort of a a non-photo blue-looking background that illustrated either a a famous scene or a battle or a close-up and some other stuff. So, like with Quake Master, you have you know the full-body image there with his little Quake Master hammer thing, and then you've got a close-up of his face in blue behind him. You've got you know mm-hmm. the devastation of the city behind him, and then uh, Batman just sucker punching the living crap out of him <laughs> in the background. And the, like the aforementioned Starfire, you've got a picture of uh, Corey of uh, Princess Coriander as Corey Anders in her modeling career, and then also a picture of her like blasting the living crap out of something with her her power bolts.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, and also I think. Yeah, there's even uh, imagery. This wonderful Perez imagery. Uh, Perez even threw in a picture of her with her uh, main squeeze, Robin, the Boy Wonder, mm-hmm. uh, also known as uh, uh, the, what was that uh, Confederate Private?
1: Oh, Confederate uh, Privates. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: But they and they also Gotham's included. Ass. They even went so far as to include things they didn't own, and I think the only thing that made it into Marvel Universe that Marvel didn't own, lock, stock, and barrel, was Rom the Space Knight.
1: Later, later they did Conan, they did Transformers, and and you know, famously they did they allowed GI Joe to happen, but in those in those initial fifteen, you had to be Marvel continuity, you know, yeah. main world Marvel to get in those books. <laughs>
0: And what was fascinating about that is you did get the stuff that Marvel did own. Right. Like the uh, the Dire Race.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: No, actually, I don't think they owned the Dire Race outright or they co-owned it, because I think Dire Race were actually mentioned in Rom's packaging as okay. his enemy. Uh, Marvel simply realized them. Uh, but you did get things like uh, Red Ronin from Godzilla. Yes. Because they had this wonderful sense someone was brilliant I've talked about this before in that they would buy licenses and maintain ownership for anything they created.
1: No, they were smart.
0: <laughs> so, you know, Godzilla brought us uh, Doctor Demonicus and uh or not that was that was the name of a, a B movie. Um
1: I know who you're you know, talking yeah, about, that's right,
0: yeah, Doctor Demonicus and Red Ronan and a few others. Um the Micronauts brought us Bug, who would later be part of one of the rank and file groups. I can't remember which guardian. one.
1: He was a guardian for a okay. while.
0: But DC, you would like there'd be a two-page spread of the damned Atari Force.
1: Yes. They had fun with it. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things but I think a lot of that came back to bite him in the ass a little bit. As we move out of Marvel and start talking about DC, I think some of that came to bite him in the ass the aforementioned fact that they were running um the crisis on infinite earths so you had some characters start with their pre-crisis origin and by the time oh, the book yeah. was done they were dead <laughs> they were either exactly. dead or had been completely rewritten so you had superman have to be written with his post-crisis origin because it happened after the events of Crisis. So I think that while they managed it, I think it was probably a bit of a giant pain in the ass in order to get it done.
0: You know? Yeah, I think you're right because a lot of it, you know, like you say, a lot of it changed. So they had to have a pre-crisis origin depending on when the issue Mm -hmm. was released. And then, you know, by the time they got to Superman, well, a lot of things had changed.
1: But they did do Things like – like you were saying, not only did they do like um, like the Atari Force, they did Watchmen.
0: Yes, there was a, a page for Watchmen, and they did a good job of sort of removing them from the universe proper. But
1: right. they
0: did pay tribute to anything that they were publishing at the time.
1: Camelot 3000 got in there. Uh, uh,
0: yes. Uh, and there was the last part of the article, you had to wait
1: a year. <laughs> the last paragraph, you had to yeah. wait 12 months to get. <laughs> but, that's and they, uh,
0: <laughs> That's for you, Steve. And they also, to illustrate again how amazingly topical it was, they had profiles of Harbinger, Pariah, the mm-hmm. monitor, the damned
1: anti-monitor. Mm-hmm. They sure did. I mean,
0: Doctor Light, the uh, the Doctor Light two or three, whatever she was, uh, the uh, the the lady, the scientist lady, who got who was given powers by the Monitor. I mean, these were fresh, literally freshly minted characters.
1: And while you know, while they weren't, while the DC who's who wasn't as prolific as Marvel, because Marvel just continued their thing you know th- throughout currents like you like even today they've started putting them into collected so yeah. you know if you buy a collected sometimes not a lot of the time but sometimes you'll see those books pop up in or those pages pop up in the books um, they ran some of their who's who stuff all the way up to new 52 and then they stopped because they figured why why well, why log yeah, I need a beer why why they're... continue this
0: there was a point where monotony was setting in, and the market just wasn't there for guidebooks.
1: Well, the Internet exists.
0: Yeah, that that's point. true. That that did the very thing that made this novel uh, no longer existed. But we need to talk about where do you go from here? Once you publish your 15 issues of Marvel Universe, and however goddamn many issues of Who's Who, where do you go from there? And, of course, with the Marvel Universe – The 12 issues became 15 by virtue of the fact that a lot of characters weren't getting profiled because they had been croaked. Right. And a lot of them, there was sort of an editorial mandate that they'd not appear because they hadn't been doing dick. And therefore, you got issues 13 and 14, the books of the dead and inactive.
1: And here's the thing the books of the dead was the coolest shit in the world <laughs> the cover of the books of the dead look it up it is some metal ass shit it is a graveyard and dead sinner in the middle i have it still i refuse to get rid of it it's captain marvel the ghost of captain marvel marvel yes. yes rising from the grave <laughs> surrounded by like the likes of grim reaper and like all of these characters coming the up the original
0: out of black this, knight coming uh... out of this
1: graveyard this creepy and i'm like what is that yes give me these this is awesome keep going i wanted to make sure that got oh, brought up i'm so Oh happy no, I'm glad did. you
0: did and in fact you reminded me john my memory of something else of the original marvel universe that was insanely cool is the last three or four pages were given over to alien races yeah every single alien race that had ever appeared in the vastly history of Marvel Comics was illustrated for some reason in their skivvies.
1: <laughs> they had to have, like, trunks.
0: Yeah, everybody was naked. And in one example, where the sole representative of her race was Hepsiba from the Starjammers, <laughs> I guess, thank God, she's covered head to toe in skunk fur. because she was able to be topless
1: yeah she was she was she was naked it was the the thing is whether it was marvel whether it was dc it was so cool not i would cut out the the pictures by the way that was my thing
0: oh yeah they were they lent themselves beautifully to that and if you get a chance look up um marvel universe handbook alien races and you can see um they were credited in the book – fact, oh, my God, the, the uh, Hephzibah one, the Mephistoids. <laughs> there she is uh, with her topless furry breast oh, so good. But the so thing good. about it was it was credited in the – I think it was in the back of every issue or the front. It, it told you who all the artists were for all, each one, mm-hmm. which made it a lot easier than <laughs> damn who's who. You had to go to the individual pages to figure out. I didn't make a damn spreadsheet. Right. But with Marvel Universe, you could go to the front and I could work out, okay, here are the guests <laughs> that I can go get this autograph by. Well, the, the uh, Alien Races was always credited, in all caps, P-A-T-Y. Okay. And that baffled for the longest. And... As luck would have it, a convention locally booked none other than Marvel editor Mike Carlin for reasons. (laughs) But it was quite advantageous because he was editor on Marvel Universe. And we went and bugged him. That's hilarious. And asked, who's Patty? Well, that was uh, a kind of... Ambiguation of, I um, oh, uh, mentioned his name earlier, Dave Dave Cockrum. Yeah. Uh, Petey Cockrum did the bulk of the alien races, but you could tell looking at them that Byrne had done some, that other artists had done. It wasn't, almost all of them looked like they were the same person, the same style. Yeah. But every now and again, you'd hit one like, like the Brood, you could tell that was a different artist than who had drawn the Badoon or the Batons. The Batons were from Godzilla, of all things. But Carlin himself had done some and graciously went through and autographed every alien he drew. That's
1: fantastic.
0: Including the Seagramites from the Hercules miniseries by Babyface Bob Layton. <laughs> And it took him a second to catch on to what we were doing, but when he signed that one, the Seagramites were the uh, from the distillers world, and they basically distilled a a mighty brew that Hercules used to drink Galactus under the table.
1: I, I believe they there was a binary star system with the Suns, Bartels and James, was it not?
0: <laughs> that's that's right. Good. There was there was Bartel and James. And, uh, but, damn it.
1: That was a good, I know. That
0: was, that's, that's, that's my one per stuff. show. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's that's a good one, though. That's, that's,
1: that's my one that's per show. Worth, I get one per show. Couple.
0: you can take one uh, show off. <laughs> but we asked him, could you draw in a word bubble with thick? Oh, nice. And he like, why, why would you need me to draw this? Because you drew the damn thing.
1: So he's an editor. He's so confused.
0: That you drew the character, you're going to write in the little stupid gag joke for my personal enjoyment. And it was just so so wonderful to... Number one, if you've ever wondered what the fuck's up with Patty or Patey, there's your answer. But he did confirm that a lot of different artists contributed, but they decided to just in bulk credit her for having been the larger part of them.
1: Well, and another thing that um, when I was reading and doing all that research on the Marvel
0: it <laughs>
1: was in the original vision for the Marvel universe um, handbook, you had that, that, that I'm going to call it a static image of the character. And then under it, they wanted a action shot of their powers.
0: Oh, that's right. Yes.
1: Well, the problem was in shooter's mind and then and then taking it to mark, you know, all of that had been done. We can just lift that from the comics. Oh, and that they did. Well, but the but the problem was about half of them they couldn't do it because the, because and and to hear shooter tell it, the old the old guard, your Kirby's your Ditko's, your Lees, your your even up to your like you know your Stranko's and your you know all of those guys would do it all in one panel. So they yeah. would, you know th- there would be a there would be a descriptor of the power, and then you would see you know Captain America throwing a shield or you know whatever it was, Thor,
0: or in the case of say Wood God, yeah, a picture of him leaping toward the Hulk,
1: yeah, something. Well, as as comics went on and as it evolved they didn't do that as much the, you would see a descriptor of the power and then in the next panel the power being used so they had to go get a lot of original art done to make up for it in a lot of them and, it, and yeah. i guess it grounded they were he was saying it pretty much you know ground publication to a halt because they had to find these bullpen artists to like whip up one panel showing <laughs> how you know, showing how X, Y, or Z would use their powers. Yeah, if,
0: showing how, like, Aquarian could make a force field, or
1: they're, speaking the blob of, could not move. Dude, yeah. Speaking yeah. of, there's a new Atlantis Attacks coming, and I just wanted you to know that. <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> Moving on. Um, but I thought that was interesting. These little hiccups from this thing that we saw and we read and was damn near perfect, right? Yeah. Like, I couldn't imagine anything like it existing. But to go back and do the research and find these little things that 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 while they didn't you know they weren't going to stop the juggernaut that became these things because they were wildly <laughs> popular, just these little hitches in the giddy ups, you know, of what happened was really interesting to to see you know break down. Um, t- talk well then go ahead. going
0: yeah because I was I was actually got so sidetracked because I was heading toward this and remembered. And and then you brought that up as well. Um, like the original Western ghost rider, you know, the little shot of him uh, galloping along on his horse and menacing yeah. folks and stuff like that. I'd forgotten about it. That was part of the magic was, you know, getting those little action shots. But um, the thing about it was uh, where do you go from here? And for Marvel, it was to follow almost immediately, with the Marvel Universe Deluxe Edition. Yes. And the Deluxe Edition basically crammed more pages into a higher-priced book. And if it was somebody ineffectual, like the Trapster <laughs> or the original Ghost Rider, for example, yes, you'd get the same image recycled. Right. But if it was a hot, sexy character people were following currently the current artists yes which is why fantastic four characters are exclusively burn <laughs> in the in the deluxe edition because burn was doing the ff and i think burn did the entire cover thing um the original marvel universe if you took the original 12 issues made a poster image
1: yes a big so, ass poster. so
0: each grouping would bleed into the next. So like the edges of the first issue, uh, characters like Arcade were kind of, you know, anybody who was cut off at the edge would flow into the the second issue. Right. And then they later published the full-size poster, which was freaking huge. But it was, you know, if you didn't want to put all your comics together... Uh, what they did with the Deluxe Edition was uh, essentially what would be like about a six-foot long, uh, and then whatever the height of a comic book is, <laughs> where it was just basically a – all of the characters were moving in the same direction, yeah, uh, le- left to right, and if you opened all the covers out, you'd make one long-ass mural.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it's, uh, I, I loathe to talk about what's next.
0: I do, too, because to me, in both cases, there was tremendous promise. Yeah. Marvel and DC both decided, you know what's cool.
1: (laughs) And it 100% was not. Let me make that clear.
0: But when I was a kid, my dad subscribed. There was a, you know, I'm silly for the natural world. I'm, I'm an armchair natural which is, not to be confused, an armchair naturist, as I often say, who's just someone who sits around naked. Uh, but I was just silly for the natural world and zoos, natural history museums, anything like that, as I called them as a, a little kid stuffed animal museum. And I had been gifted a subscription to these, like, animal cards. You know, once a month you'll get a big stack of cards of with pictures and bios on the back and you get the little plastic thing to awkwardly hold them all as as they came in. And, you know, after about a year, it gets tiresome, and you finally, (laughs) you know, I, I just wonder if anybody ever made it all the way through these subscriptions. But reminiscent of that was the direction that they were taking with both Marvel Universe and Who's Who, and I think that this is one where DC got, made it to the party earlier. And that was the... Uh, oh, and I, I forgot to say that in the 80s, in the late 80s, there were Marvel Universe updates. Yes. And they would do like maybe six or seven issues.
1: Yeah, they would just short give run you it.
0: Either, you know, something significant happened, you might get Nick Fury again, but you would get things like the Gate Crashers from um, Excalibur. Who right around yet and was it speedball the masked marvel so the next inevitable phase as dr heller would say from mystery men (laughs) was the ring binder oh god what the ring binder the promise of the ring binder was that you could publish out of order you were no longer beholden to the alphabet Superman could appear in the first fucking issue right? of Who's Who, where he damned well belonged, as far as you knew. And I can't find a decent enough image to say, but you would have like maybe 20 or 24 characters in a shrink-wrapped page that were pre-punched with the standard, what I call the Trapakiba era. Oh, yeah. And Marvel, or rather DC did 8.5 by 11. Marvel inexplicably went with a much smaller format. Both of them published ring binders.
1: Yeah, you you had a ring binder, and then you had these. It was like corporate was sending you an update to the hazard waste materials handbook. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) And, That's and, exactly what it was like. And you got to sign off on it. and then, Yeah, and yeah. then you
0: put the pages in where they belong and in the right sequence.
1: Yes, yeah, because you don't want to be out of sequence. You might have an empty Clorox bottle. You never know what to do with it. That's right. So hang your HR poster. What you got
0: basically <laughs> is once a month you'd get the next installment. And the problem for me was... Well, let me go get to the binders real quick because Marvel went with a rather nondescript. They they had a smaller format and they went with a nondescript kind of a, a black. It was a, a you know, the vinyl cover covered cardboard. Yes. Almost like the old Hot Wheels or Matchbox, uh, or even the old Star Wars uh, carry cases where you would have like a, you know, heat sealed vinyl over a cardboard frame, and their smaller ring bound. Uh, pages would go in that DC published at least two if not three editions of I think there were at least two and um, one of them is actually on display with a lot of my DC Direct characters and it was a uh, George Perez image with like Superman and Hawkman as he appeared at the time flying above and um, they're all sort of flying towards you and then what was kind of fun on the back is you had characters like Lex Luthor and Cheetah, but they were all had their backs to you. Yeah. And then there was a second edition, and I'm racking my brain because I don't have one of those on display, but I actually do still own one, um, that was, I think, just sort of more of a montage of characters or something like that. But um, the problem was that they were very much beholden to the idea of where are we right now? Yes. And for characters that are fascinating in the original who's who, like Legion of superheroes, this was the period when Legion of superheroes was abandoning the lads and lasses in favor of gritty storytelling where nobody really had a costume. They had these, you know, big heavy Keith Giffen jackets with giant cuffs and lots of, uh,
1: it was the bomber jacket era. The Avengers yeah. went through it. Everybody went through this weird bomber jacket. They era. They had like, the
0: uh, the ordnance belts uh, pre cable. Yeah. They had like you know
1: bandoleros and yeah,
0: and, and big you know belt pouches that you would put uh, you know World War Two machine gun cartridges <laughs> in because they were like about a foot and a half long. Uh, highly impractical if you have to ride the bus. So thank God for those Legion flight rings.
1: Right, and that's why they invented them.
0: Absolutely, everybody went by their regular name. Yeah, boring. Bouncing Boy wasn't Bouncing Boy; was Chuck Tane, and every and so you have all of these god awful Keith Giffen images, these god awful names, and in the context of the book is fine, but it doesn't sell. Right, and I became. Very disenchanted. I think somewhere in my archives I actually still have an unopened who's who ring binder number one. But if you think that was bad, (laughs) in the world of editorial mandates, what in the flying sweet mother Christmas pus bucket Marvel Universe, the mandate was the turnaround. So let's get you a character you might really enjoy like Wolverine
1: in his classic turnaround, yes, okay.
0: His classic Bumblebee outfit. And you have him facing forward, you have him facing in profile, and you have him facing with his back to you.
1: Oh yeah. The turnaround.
0: That is your exciting character image for Wolverine. A freaking animated special turnaround this is not it was more a costume guide than anything right Absolutely, every single character with opposable thumbs was posed let me see if I get this right with their left hand back out, backside out yeah they, right it hand, was
1: like they were flipped like
0: right hand palm out and you know Wolverine's claws aren't even popped
1: yeah, my th- Was it a character guide? Because it really felt like a character guide.
0: <laughs> it really was. It was almost more like a, a guide for uh, aspiring artists. So you would never – and like if they had a cape in the back to you turnaround, the only difference was that characters with capes had their cape draped over – One shoulder, right? <laughs> right arm. So like at the uh, elbow. So, so that you could get a look at what their ass looked like behind the cape.
1: Yeah, it was so weird. It was so weird.
0: It really got monotonous with the alien race turnarounds. I, I don't think they bothered with the alien races in
1: that. <laughs> well, it was just trunks. It's all trunks. Yeah. But one thing that did as as we have to start thinking about wrapping this up. One thing that did spin out of this was a whole lot of other guidebooks.
0: Which were cool, oh, yes,
1: and, and there were later incarnations, especially of Marvel Universe, because I've seen. Oh some yeah, well, I mean, I have one from a couple of years ago. That yeah. They did a, a Mystic Arcana kind of guidebook wrapped around a story about the, the the tarot of Marvel, where it had magic and um, and Scarlet Witch and Black Knight and like um these characters and there was a story around it you know like like it was based on a they built a story around it but half of the book is uh handbook pages about these characters so they're still using it even to this day they'll still put them out and have them in some of the the collected stuff where they're you know really want to feature some of their their particular characters from it
0: exactly but you're right though others did uh, follow that lead. Uh, DC at the time was publishing or had the license for Star Trek and published a two-issue Who's Who in Star Trek. Right. And In, in which they said that uh, Sulu's middle name was Kato, and I'm not sure if that's… If that's accurate. <laughs> if that's accurate, yeah.
1: Well, my favorite one was G.I. Joe. By far, yes. the Order of Battle was, you know, they, they did a short thing. And oh my it was, God,
0: it actually is Hikaru Kato Sulu. So.
1: Because what they what they did with the Order of Battle was, it was six, I think it was six issues. The first two issues were G.I. or the first four issues were G.I. Joe, and the last two were Cobra. And they took all of the information that Larry Hama had lovingly you know, created and developed in this mythology and then fleshed it out and gave you, you know, backstories and things that had changed and been built around the the actual, you know, comic.
0: So yeah, and me, some I of the history people... that had occurred in the context of the comic.
1: Right, it was really Like the
0: cool. Arbco Brothers Circus. Uh,
1: yes, yes. The, the Walmart that they based their uh, Cobra camp <laughs> out of. Um, but for me, that was amazing because for the same reason it was amazing with, you know, standard comics, but you got the, the vision, you know, us getting to, you know, that idea that where you and I actually got to sit in a room with Larry and talk about, you know, where these characters, concepts and ideas came from, you know, and then you get to see them fleshed out in a comic book size, which by the way was my major problem with when we were talking about uh, ring binders my major problem with ring binders is they're not comics. Don't give yeah. me a chore, DC and Marvel.
0: I'm, yeah, exactly.
1: I, give me comics, you assholes. That was my, you know, that's my major problem was like, I collect comic books, not three ring binders. I'm, I'm 16 years old. I'm not 34 in an office. You know, does anybody have any more tabs? I need more tabs. I got to put together this quarterly report of, Alien races from Marvel Comics. Screw you. I don't want a chore. (laughs) Exactly. Well,
0: one of the interesting things, I had a friend who was collecting uh, Order of Battle, and we were both uh, just rather taken aback by one of the characters once you got into the R's. And that is none other than Rocky. File name, Balboa, Rocky.
1: Oh, yeah, that's right.
0: The personal combat instructor for G.I. Joe.
1: Right. I've forgotten. Yes.
0: First place, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, not ironically. No attempt in the artwork to... I I don't even know if the artist was even told about. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, apparently they're... uh, there is. I, I found an article there was a turnaround uh, for an action figure sculpt of a Rocky Balboa that looks exactly like the one in uh,
1: in, the the, uh, in the Order of Battle
0: in Order of Battle in fact uh, I think it was a, Yeah, the next issue Order of Battle included a retraction <laughs> and I remember that we got such a laugh out of that too the character of Rocky, Rocky Balboa code Rocky was incorrectly included as a member of GI Joe in GI Joe order of battle issue number two on page 10 Rocky is not and has never been a member of GI Joe and th- it was so funny because apparently when they did uh, collect order of battle into trade paperback Rocky was completely excised so it's really I mean it's kind of fun if you have the original issues because it's much like the original deities and demigods for our, uh, as aforementioned, Dungeons and Dragons people, because it included three licensed properties.
1: <laughs> Which ones were in it? I'm trying to remember. Uh, the, <laughs> uh,
0: well, most, you were the Lovecraft. Uh,
1: yes, the pantheon, the Cthulhu.
0: Yeah, then there were um, Elric.
1: Oh, right.
0: They, uh, I can almost say the guy's name. Michael Moorcox Elric. Right. And then um, a pantheon from – I was unfamiliar, but it you know, became obvious that that was not theirs either to be toying with. And it was uh, Fafford and the Grey Mauser.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Were, uh, uh, Fritz Lieber's uh, stories. Uh, so basically, they had taken Fritz Lieber's uh, Lankmar um, Pantheon and co-opted that as well. And all three of those were excised from reprints. That's awesome. And I actually own a copy of the original Deities and Demigods, which I, is one of my prized possessions because it's just—it was so cool to have the whole thing where you have actual public domain from you know. I don't think ancient Babylon is gonna rise up and sue anybody.
1: I mean if if anybody was gonna do it. Yeah. It'd be ancient Babylon.
0: (laughs) Or actually I would say maybe the Egyptians because wasn't that the whole idea?
1: (laughs) Well, I think that the if there not to get too esoteric, but I think if there were you know, if these if these ancient pantheons exist I would I would think that they would want this to happen because you know isn't that if I if you believe Neil Gaiman, that they need new worshippers all the time.
0: Oh, that's so true. So
1: wouldn't they want this? They'd be like, we, yeah, we were yeah. just
0: watching some American Gods the other night. So yeah, yeah, put it in there,
1: baby. I need <laughs> I need more people that, that wanna that wanna worship me. d and is probably the best thing that happened to them in a long time. <laughs>
0: Or much like in fables, you know, the more uh, well-known you are among the mundane, uh, the the more powerful you are among the fable community. Right. Just ask Jack of the Fables. There you go. So this is an ad. <laughs> or perhaps from, yeah, I think this is an ad for, uh, speaking of indie publishers that are no more, IGC, excuse me.
1: IGC.
0: IGC, the Independent Comics Group, published a one-shot special in the 80s, I believe it was. The ad reads, had it with the real world? Directory to a non-existent universe. (laughs) I actually once owned a copy of the directory to the non-existent universe. I may still have it. I don't know for certain. But the directory for a non-existent universe brought us such things as Macho ma'am, <laughs> Pete Moss, the black and blue panther who was constantly beaten senseless.
1: Oh, you had to love this.
0: this oh, it was it was brilliant. Pull yourself together, man, who basically uh, was a living, exploded view of the human body. <laughs> So it was like all the organs and bones and everything and the the, muscles and all in in an exploded view. Um, One of my favorites, because it was not only these characters, they were actually bios and the aforementioned kind of little bottom-of-the-page action shots. They really did a great job, the the creator of this crazy thing. Uh, In fact, in this ad, it mentions some other ones like – Night, Night, N I G H T K N I G H T. Old Man. (laughs) Old Man. (laughs) Surrealism. Oh, God. Doberman, the Pincher. Oh, gosh, what else here? Dust Devil. Oh, and there was one where the, uh, what do they call it? Tombstoning in journalism, where stuff lines up. In a newspaper in a funny way? Yes. Oh, Pete Moss was their swamp thing. I wish we, we didn't even think about Pete Moss back when we, 150 issues ago, when we did that damn Marsh Madness. Damn it.
1: Listen, we, we can't we can't have it all, man.
0: Uh, that's so true. We almost didn't have this one if it hadn't popped in my brain. Um, but there was one where it read on the page like Mr. and Miss Fit. Uh, okay. I started reading the bios I was, oh, no, it's Misfit and Mr. Meaner. <laughs> and the bio, what was funny about that was, you know, there they were these petty criminals who got superpowers. It says, just because you have unlimited powers doesn't mean you're good at coming up with names.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so I had a lot of fun with, you know, some tongue-in-cheek aspects of some of these characters. And one of my favorites, uh both in, ex- in the concept and in uh, – the, uh, let me see if I can open this big enough to uh, to actually read the bio. Uh, where the hell did it go? But the uh, – I won't open big enough. But it was Grow Arm Hair Lad. <laughs> he had the ability to spontaneously grow his arm hair to considerable lengths. <laughs> so he had his mom make him a costume under the pretense that it was for a school play or <laughs> something like that. I forget, it was like an anagram. And then he, in quotations, borrowed his dad's uh, electric razor. The concept being that perhaps if he needed to, he could shave off the long hair and, and fashion into a rope or something. <laughs> so he wanted to have that handy. His, his costume actually has a little holster on the hip for the, the Norelco razor. Nice. But, you know, as the write-up, Describes all this, and then the last line. I'm doing this completely from memory. Was something to the effect of, and then this lying little thief went out to fight crime. <laughs> and it was all stuff like that. It was just so much fun.
1: That's awesome.
0: I think one of them was it's Just was Mark. It was just this guy just named this Mark. Just this
1: guy named Mark. Yeah.
0: Just Mark. It says powers. Mark is an average height and build.
1: Yeah, it's Mark.
0: <laughs> Mark. Yeah. <laughs> so if you get a chance, uh, get yourself a copy of Guide to the uh, Directory to a Non-Existing Universe. I was, had a little trouble tracking down the name of it, but it was, it's a fun little read. It's just very tongue-in-cheek, um, one of the better parodies of its day during the parody boom.
1: Nice. Oh, man. All right, well, we need to wrap this up. I think that we've, we've recovered from a big story arc with an issue that we wanted to do. And we've been fun. your guides
0: to guides.
1: We have. So anytime you can pick up a guide, like Transformers had one, um, G.I. Joe. Had one. What's that? I think you'd mentioned Valiant had one. Valiant had one more recently that was, you know, a. a, a I'm not going to call it a parody of, you know, the Marvel and DC ones, but essentially that's what they were. It was an homage. If we want to call it an homage for sure. Um, it was an homage to all of those books. Uh, One of the more recent ones was Invincible from DC or from uh, Image had one where they went through their universe, their Invincible universe and and made a guidebook for it with all of their characters, which I thought was pretty great. Um, You know, they're still getting made. It's still a really interesting, fun concept, you know, to see all of your characters page after page, you know, it's, it's great. You're right. Like, you know, if we can be a guide to guides, let's be a guide to guides. There are much worse things to be. Capture the nostalgia that we felt for the last 30 odd years.
0: Exactly.
1: Oh, man. All right. Well, what's next for us, Cole? Do we know or is it going to be a surprise to all of us? I
0: think it's going to be a surprise to all of nice. us because this was one that this particular issue is fairly recent
1: it was in, the in last its five.
0: conception. And I you know, just rocketed this up to follow the arc because it was well-timed. Uh, there's a few things we have coming up um, in uh, mid-February, for example. We're going to um, explore love triangles.
1: Ah, uh, yeah. Because if
0: there's one shape that I love, it's triangles.
1: Strong, strongest, strongest shape in nature.
0: That's right. It's
1: not. It's, I, it's no, no, not it's that... that absolutely
0: not no, I, the rhomboid could kick its ass any day of the week
1: but lo- there just aren't enough love rhomboids
0: no there are not <laughs>
1: they just, should uh, work on
0: that yeah I really I think the rhomboid needs to be the symbol of something other than Oscar Mayer
1: it's just, I, I, I want to be an Oscar Mayer rhomboid <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think also in the back of Marvel Universe uh, uh, Patey did the uh, rhomboid illustration
1: Oh, by the way, before we end this, there is one that I cannot find. I can't find the – I can't find it online. I know I have it. I just didn't go through my stuff to find it. I hope I still have it. Marvel did one. So Marvel, after they were done with all of this, they did really specific ones based on their comics. So you would have like a Fantastic Four one. You would have a Marvel Knights one that would just go through all of the, you know, all of those characters and you know, you got a little more detail. They did one under the, under the banner of the Punisher. Hmm. And it was the pun. It, it was like the Punisher micro. It had jigsaw. It had everybody in it, but then it also had Punisher's van, all of the weapons he prefers using his lighter that he got in Vietnam. Like all of this stuff was in it. And I remember the image of the cover in my head and I searched so hard for it. I spent too much time looking for it online and I just can't find it. So if anybody out there is listening and can come across this thing, let me know
0: because it was, wasn't it battle of order, (laughs)
1: battle of order. (laughs) battle yeah yeah it's not only a good turn of phrase it's accurate as well
0: (laughs) it's so true yeah it it works on (laughs) but that's
1: it all right it
0: works on entirely two levels
1: but i but i know it's out there and i can't find it and it was really interesting you know because it's like a madman's diary but but then you turn that over to let's say an editor it's like it's like a if Ted Skazinski wrote a resume and then sent it to a resume service to have it written, because <laughs> <laughs> you know, like eh, I think I'm gonna make some edits and clean this up, but it's so it's just it's just really cool. I just I eh, I couldn't find it. All right, well let's wrap this up. Um, Cole, uh, do you have your plugs ready?
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us, number one here yet again on the uh, Jedi Cole Universe at Jedi Cole I am. Not going to make any resolutions, but I think that um, I I mi- I was recently invited to write an article for um, the Dallas Paleontological Society's newsletter, and realized how much I miss writing. Uh, yes. So I am going to try to do some more proper writing on this damn site. Uh, so hopefully you'll be seeing those uh, very soon. Uh, but that's it. We're coming to you from jollycoal.com, uh, home soon of more. And, uh,
1: <laughs> that's our slogan, home soon of more.
0: <laughs> that's right. And then, uh, you can uh, write to us at mail at yahoo.com. And on the first and third Sundays, of every month. In fact, hey, presto, this coming Sunday is the third Sunday of every month. But the first and third Sunday of every month, the Rant Pit live on dallasonair.com from 1030 to 1130 a.m. Central. This week, for our final episode of January, we are going to have a spoiler-rich look at none other than The Mandalorian. Yeah! And, of course, that'll be preceded this time... Uh, this particular month, or this being the third Sunday of the month, we will have none other than uh, my other show, Isle of Toys, will have its latest episode, and that is 9:30 to 10:30 a.m. Central on DallasOnAir.com as well.
1: I might actually be able to call in this week, so All right. you you might get a you might get a phone call on one or both of those shows because. I, I have a Mandalorian questions that need to be asked, um, that I haven't asked you yet because I've been waiting for a public forum with which,
0: Oh, start. okay.
1: So, uh, you might just be getting a phone call from me this week, buddy. Um, and of course on all of your socials, you can find us at HK comic show. Um, we've actually been posting a little more this year. I think that's a resolution is to, is to put, put more out there. Um, just today, some exciting news came out that I'm very, very excited about, that um, Oscar, Oscar Isaacs has been tapped to play the lead in the Ex Machina um,
0: oh, very nice.
1: project, which Ex Machina is a fantastic comic by Wildstorm that if you have not read it, you need to read it. It is amazing. <laughs> um, it's a Brian K. Vaughn uh, joint, um, and it is it is quite good. And so that news came out today, and we blasted that out there, as well as um, Wolverine uh, corn um, holders, as well, just so that everybody knows those exist.
0: Oh, thank you for mentioning that because I did see those just the other day, and I was in awe of the fact that such a thing was out there. Yes, it was
1: right under our noses the whole time, and 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 trust me, Wolverine smells far.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And coming soon. Bone claw version.
1: Bones? Just, oh, it's actual, like rat bones. It's just. Yeah,
0: that's right. Gross. It's like pickle Rick, you know. It's super <laughs> gross. Like, it's like having a taxidermy pickle Rick. You know?
1: Oh, God. I can't think. All right. We're leaving. We'll see you next week. I'm going to go before it gets grosser. Um, and it will. It will. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Say good night, Cole. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody.